0: The reading today is taken from Luke 3, 15-22, on page 1029 of the Bibles. The people were waiting expectantly, and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptise you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And many other words John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. But when John rebuked Herod the Tetrarch because of his marriage to Herodias, his brother's wife, and all other evil things he had done, Herod added this to them all. He locked John up in prison. When all the people were being baptised, Jesus was baptised too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks be to God. Thank you, Jess, very much. If I can add my own welcome to that that Adam and Caroline gave earlier. My name is Jonathan G. am the vicar here. Uh, regulars here will know what this means. This is hot Ribena, and it means the vicar has a head cold and a sore throat. Some people get very excited. They think, short sermon. It doesn't always work that way. But will you pray for me that I would speak what God's given me, and I'll pray for you that through it all God would speak. And his word does say that when we're weak, then we're strong. His power is made perfect in weakness. So it's entirely likely that God will speak all the more clearly. Let's pray that that happens. We praise you, Lord God, that you are a loving father who loves each of us more than we can possibly imagine. And we ask that as we think about this story of the baptism of Jesus, you would send your spirit on us. May we hear you speaking to us that you love us, that you're pleased with us, and will you give us grace to walk your way, and we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. So I have a question for you before we start getting into the baptism of Jesus. What do you actually think God thinks about you? What do you actually think God thinks about you? You may never have thought about that question, but it's an important question, and your answer is important. Even if you find it hard to put into words, the things we think about God affect how we live. Our theology affects how we live. And the things we think about what God thinks about us affects us deeply. Some people I come across think that God is distant, that he doesn't really notice them. He's a bit like a distant relative, uh, but most of the time you're out of touch and he really doesn't know or notice what you do. It's not true. Uh, God is as close uh, as could possibly be just waiting for us to turn around and engage with him. But if you think that God is distant, you will think that he doesn't really notice what you do and you may well live as a practical atheist, uh, uh, perhaps apart from an hour or two on a Sunday morning. Some people I come across have a deep sense that God is disappointed with them. You believe God does notice but he's constantly disappointed that you don't come up to his standards. So you probably keep your distance. If there's someone who's disappointed with you, you don't get too close because it's uncomfortable. You may try to lead a good life, but you feel however hard you try, it's not good enough. Uh, So you give up or you burn out trying. The truth is that God delights in you as his children. Uh, But this is a lie that's so opposed by the evil one that often we don't believe it deep down. And this is where we're going and we'll be praying at the end of the service, that God would minister to us so we know his fatherly delight in us. The truth of the Bible, as we've just sung, is that God is a good, good father who loves you and delights in you more than the best parents have ever delighted in any of their children. Indeed, the scriptures tell us that parenthood derives from God the Father. The best of our parenting is a pale reflection of his love for us. And at Jesus' baptism, he experiences this fatherly delight in him, these words that are up on the screens. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven You are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Now, notice that this is right at the start of Jesus' public ministry. He hasn't yet started. He hasn't done any teaching. He hasn't done any miracles. He hasn't done any healing. He's been in the carpenter's workshop. He's about 30 now, so he's been there a long time. He's done a lot of tables and chairs. He's probably done quite a lot of ox yokes and shelves. He's maybe helped build some houses and some boats but none of the ministry stuff, none of the saving the world stuff. And the Father delights in him before he started to do the main purpose that God has for him. And the whole of Jesus' ministry flows out of this relationship with the Father. He continually nurtures it. He prays. He's more concerned with what the Father thinks about him than anybody else. And out of that deep security... He does the most extraordinarily difficult ministry and copes with the most amazing amount of criticism from people close to him and far away. If we get to the sense that, or if God reveals to us that he delights in us, that gives us a deep security and we can live lives out of that. Without that, we tend to try and earn God's favour. Uh, it's been put this way, and I've used this quite often, the, the cycles of grace and grief. And I thought I'd sent a PowerPoint to Dan. It turns out I hadn't. That was a figment of my imagination, and I'll blame my head cold for thinking I'd done it when I hadn't. Dan brilliantly has looked on the website and found a couple of cycles of grace and grief. And this, this is exactly what I wanted to, to say. That comes from another, another stable. The cycle of grace... Is where It starts there on the left-hand side, where we know we are accepted by God. That sustains us. We are nurtured by the fact that we are loved by God, and we get our identity out of that. We are a child of God, as we saying. that's who I am. And that then leads us to doing the things for God that he calls us to do. Not to earn his favor, but as an overflow of who we are and what he's given us. Uh, and that cycle, you can sustain very well. Because of sin, and because we doubt God's word, we tend to try and go around that cycle the other way. That is the cycle of grief. It starts down the bottom there with achievement. We do something, and people appreciate us for doing it. That feeds our identity, I'm good at doing this. So we try and do more of it. And the danger is that we get driven, and we only feel accepted when we're doing well, and people are pleased with us. And of course, that is a treadmill that will never end because we can never do enough. Jesus models going around the cycle of grace, and that's where we need to go. And What we believe about God and what we believe God thinks about us affects us enormously. If you think you have to earn God's favor, you go around this cycle the wrong way and you will burn out or give up. If you know the scriptural truth that God delights in you, Jesus died for our sins so we can be forgiven, we can be adopted into his family, We can call Jesus' father our father. He delights in us. He fills us with his spirit. He gives us ministry to do, but that is an overflow of who we are. I found all my ministry a real tension here. I continually drift back into the cycle of grief and need to repent and come back. It's been very good for me uh, preparing this sermon today to get again the fact that God is my father, that he delights in me and his child, and that everything needs to flow from that. Even if I did have a little conversation, saying, Father, the way you delighted me with a head cold and a sore throat when I got to preach all day doesn't feel like that. Uh, But here's a good father. Uh, I don't know if you know the story of Les Miserables and BBC uh, uh, showing it over six Sunday evenings. Uh, that nine o'clock slot, which I always enjoy uh, something at the end of a long Sunday to do that. I've loved the stage show. Juliet and I had seen that twice in London, and then our son Josh acted in it at school. So for a year we lived it, and the words to every song went through. Uh, even, if you don't, even if you've not seen it, you may know something that lies at the heart of this extraordinary story. set in 19th century France. And the two central characters that run the whole way through are the justice officer, Javert, and the ex-convict, Valjean. Uh, We could lose the cycle of grace now, Dan. We could blank that. Thank you. Uh, Javert, the justice officer, lives by the law. He seeks out anyone who breaks it to punish them. He believes that God is a God of justice, but he does not believe God is a God of mercy. And that affects his whole being. It's a relentless pursuit of justice with no mercy and no grace. He's severe, he's heartless, he's driven. He's an extraordinary example of how your theology drives how you are. Then you get Jean Valjean, uh, the hero of the whole story. He's an ex-convict. He'd been caught stealing a loaf of bread to try and feed his family. He was in prison for five years. He escaped or tried to. He was put in prison for another 14 years, 19 long years. And when eventually he's paroled, he can't get good work or anywhere to sleep. He settles in a doorway of the bishop's house in Dean, and the kindly old bishop invites him in, feeds him, gives him a bed for the night. In the middle of the night, Valjean gets up, steals all the silver cutlery, and escapes. The next day he's caught and the soldiers bring him back uh, to the bishop. And the soldiers throw him on the floor and laugh and say, he told us that he stayed here last night and you gave him the cutlery. And the saintly old bishop says, he's quite right, I did. And then he says to Valjean, but I gave you the silver candlesticks as well. Why did you leave those? Why didn't you take them? And he gets these two enormous silver candlesticks and gives them to Valjean and he thanks the soldiers for doing their best, but said, but you made a mistake, I've given them to him, release him. And he then speaks quietly to Jean Valjean. He says, I've paid a price for you. I've set you free. Now use this to lead a new life and become an honest man. And both in the film and uh, in the first week of the BBC, you see Valjean wrestling with himself and with God. What have I done to deserve this? How can I cope with it? And it's an extraordinary thing to actually learn to accept grace. But Valjean uses that to go to a new town, to break parole, to start again under a new name, and become a man of grace. And the central relationship of the story is how Javert tries to keep tracking him down. And Valjean does grace. Valjean is experienced grace, and he becomes a man of grace. Javert believes in a god of justice, and relentlessly pursues justice. And along the way, you get the innkeeper Thenardier, who doesn't believe in God at all. Who's an atheist, so he doesn't care what. He just does what he wants and steals and lies. And it's an extraordinary story illustrating that what you believe about God affects who you are and how you become. Now, we believe in the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, full of grace and truth. Not just being nice and letting the truth go, not just a heartless pursuit of truth without grace, but the two together. And baptism, the baptism of John the Baptist, the, where Jesus was baptized, is a wonderful sign of this grace. That there is a washing clean, there is forgiveness. There is a fresh start. So let's pick up the story in Luke chapter 3. John is baptizing, verse 3. John the Baptist went into all the country around Jordan. He preached a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And the visual aid of that was you would come down to the Jordan River. Uh, John would, You would confess your sins. John would immerse you in the river. And up you'd get again. And it's a visual picture of sin being washed clean. God is a God of forgiveness. Uh, who longs for us to have a fresh start. Sin matters. That's why we say our confession every week to acknowledge before God that we've got stuff wrong, but we praise God that he's a God of forgiveness. It would only be because of Jesus dying on the cross that we can be forgiven. That works right the way through history, backwards and forwards. But baptism with water is a visual sign of grace, of forgiveness, of forgiveness as of a fresh start. And there's a bit of a national revival going on. Crowds come out into the desert, to the River Jordan that flows through uh, 30 miles down below Jerusalem, down right by Jericho there. John is baptising. And crowds flock out. There's a real sense of national revival, the sort of equivalent of Billy Graham in his day. Crowds going. And people are wondering, is this the Messiah? There's a bit of messianic fever going on. Is is John going to be the one that's going to restore the glory days to Israel? And John addresses that question in verse 15. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering if their hearts, if John the Baptist might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them, I baptize you with water. But one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So John is saying, what I'm doing is just a aid. This is just water. Someone more important is coming. Uh, The thongs of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie, the straps of whose sandals. I think in today's idiom, he would say, I'm not worthy to lick his boots. That is the sort of idiom of it. And he will baptize you with the real thing. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Uh, Now, let me give you an illustration of this. I often use this on an alpha day. I'm going to baptise this sponge as a visual aid. Um, This is a perfectly nice sponge, but it's dry and crusty and utterly useless as it is for doing what a sponge should do. And I'm going to baptise it. Uh, To baptise is the Greek word for immersion. When a ship sank, uh, you would write that the ship was baptised. It was flooded in water. Uh, So I'm going to baptise the sponge. You could say that the sponge is in the water. You could say that the water is in the sponge. And the New Testament says both those things. Or at least it says that we are in Christ and he is in us. The point is that we are utterly united. And as this sponge is baptised in water, actually a rather wonderful thing happens, which is true of us as well. That it becomes soft and useful. And can do what it was designed to do. Now when we come to Jesus and we bow the knee to him and he baptises us with Holy Spirit. The first thing he does is forgive us, is wash us clean. That's what John's baptism points to. But then he does so much more. He immerses us, he floods us with his Holy Spirit and makes us useful in his service. He baptizes us with fire. We all know what it is to be convicted of what's wrong as the fire begins to purify and burn away what's wrong and make more space to be filled with Holy Spirit. And we need to continually come back to Jesus. We don't need to be baptized afresh every day, but we come back every day to be filled afresh with his Holy Spirit, to be cleansed, because We go dry and crusty like that old sponge. Some of you here today will be feeling dry in your Christian faith and a bit crusty. And we will pray at the end of this sermon, uh, before the end of the service, that God would refresh us, would send the spring rain of his spirit on us afresh and soften our hearts and refresh us. Some of you here haven't got that far. Some of you are exploring these things. You are thinking the Christian faith might well be true. You're not quite sure. I want to invite you to come on our Alpha course that starts on Thursday evenings uh, after half term. Really good place to come, to learn. We'll give you a simple meal. Uh, There'll be some instruction. There'll be some some of it by video and some testament people's interviews and their story. Then there's a chance to ask any questions you want. Uh, You don't have to talk if you don't want to. Uh, equally if you want to ask questions you're very free to do that and it's a good place to explore the truth of all these things. If you can't get to the Alpha course but you're exploring, do have a word on the way out, there's other ways, Uh, we can give you things to read, we can meet up with you, you can come on Sundays. Do explore, Jesus said, if you seek you will find. Uh, Some of you have been doing that for a long time and you are at the point where you need to decide. There is a step of faith to take. Uh, baptism is the way we express that, to bow the knee to Jesus as Lord. We repent of our, of our sin, we turn to him. Uh, we baptise as many people by immersion as we can, babies by immersion if they're young enough and it's not going to create a problem, uh, adults by immersion, the picture language of dying to the old way of life and rising to new life with Jesus, of being washed clean of our sin, flooded with his spirit and his grace, Excuse me, just a minute. And I do want to encourage those of you who are ready to follow Jesus uh, to get this one sorted out. I'm starting on Tuesday evenings this week uh, a group for people who are wanting to be baptised or if you're baptised as little people to be confirmed or maybe you even did that before you came to Living Faith and your faith is new or in. Tuesday evenings, we're going to talk through all these things and get you to the point where you can make your baptism commitment to Jesus, and you can be baptised. Oh, we have a confirmation service on March the 3rd with the bishop coming, if that's the appropriate thing. Uh, to confirm Confirmation is confirming your baptism vows. It's reaffirming them and being prayed for for fresh filling of the Spirit. Uh, we're going to look to start a teenage confirmation course. We don't tend to confirm children below the age of 14 here, but if children are ready before the age of 14, we can admit them to receive communion. We'd rather they wait till they're a bit older, and so confirmation is a more adult commitment. Uh, but I hope there'll be some teenagers and some students and some younger and older adults who are getting baptised and confirmed. Uh, and if that's you, then. The public commitment of declaration in faith, just like that folks went out to John the Baptist and they were publicly baptised in the river, it was a declaration of their repenting of their sins and their forgiveness. So the public uh, declaration of making baptism vows is a vital step in following Jesus. And for some of you, that's the right thing next. Do you have a word with me on the way out. The question, though, lends itself, why did Jesus need to be baptised? If baptism is for forgiveness of sins, Jesus never sinned. His friends were clear about that. He never sinned. His enemies couldn't pin anything on him. The only thing they could pin on him was claiming to be God, which if you are, is fair enough. That was the only thing they could pin on him. And when your friends and your enemies both agree about something, gosh, imagine if in parliament everyone was agreed about something to do with Brexit we'd think, well, that really is the right thing, isn't it? That would be an absolute miracle. If my friends and enemies are agreed that I've not done something, then I probably haven't. Jesus didn't sin. Why did he need to be baptised? <coughs> well, now, Luke doesn't go into this, but Matthew asks this question. So if we just put up Matthew's version uh, of the story. This is Matthew three thirteen to 15. Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptised by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptised by you, and you're coming to me. Jesus replied, let it be so now. It's proper for us to do this to fulfil all righteousness. This is the right thing to do. So John consented and baptised him. So what's going on there? Jesus didn't need to be baptised for forgiveness of sins. But he felt this was the right thing to do. Uh, And what Christians have believed down the years is that in baptism, Jesus is fully identifying with sinful humanity. All of us fall short of God's standards. All of us have sinned. We all fall short. None of us is so good that we deserve relationship with God. We've all fall short. None of us is so bad that we can't be forgiven. We're all in the same boat in that sense. And Jesus is not just God incarnate come to this earth to reveal what God is like, but he fully identifies with sinful humanity being baptised himself. And it's it's an extraordinary act of humility, of identifying with us in our sinful humanity by being baptised. In that sense... It's a forerunner of, of. It foreshadows what would happen on the cross, where Jesus took our sin on Himself fully. Indeed, at different stages, He described what happened on the cross as His baptism. Will you, can you be baptised with the baptism? I'll be baptised with uh, that. That was where He dealt with sin fully. Now, I just want to say a word to those of you who've joined us from other uh, denominations. Uh, where you've been baptised but you haven't been confirmed because the Church of England has this confirmation. And it is Church of England practice that if you're a regular communicant, if you're part of the church family regularly receive bread and wine here, uh, that the Church of England asks you to be confirmed. And in years gone by, that was done far too heavy-handedly that you can't receive communion unless you're confirmed. That's a nonsense because if you're a baptised believer in Jesus Christ... Uh, that baptism is the big deal. That's what gets us into relationship uh, with Jesus as we, uh, as we mean what's, what it signifies. Confirmation is not just for, so uh, I hope some of our teenagers and adults who are baptised as babies will be confirmed, to confirm their baptism vows. They don't need to be baptised again. Uh, Confirmation is the way the Church of England kind of extends the right hand of fellowship to people from other denominations. If you join, say, a Pentecostal church, they will extend the right hand of fellowship to you as a sign that you you fully belong there. And to be fully enfranchised in the Church of England, to get ordained or to be a church warden, actually, if you're meant to do this, if you join the PCC, though I haven't always insisted on it, uh, you're meant to be confirmed. Uh, We've got the bishop coming to do a confirmation service on March the 3rd, and it is a wonderful opportunity. And I want to invite those of you who've joined us from other denominations to come and renew your baptism vows to God. Uh, What happened? You don't make any promises to the Church of England. It's the same. It's the normal baptism vows. You get prayed for to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and it's a wonderful occasion. I could point you to testimony after testimony of people who've come to do this and said, gosh, this has been a real blessing. And the point is that you identify with the church you're part of. So just as in baptism, Jesus identifies with sinful humanity, in confirmation, you're kind of identifying yourself with sinful Anglicans, (laughs) if you like. You're saying, I'm part of this church family. I'm not going to insist on it. I don't lay it on heavy-handedly because the scriptures don't insist on it, so we shouldn't insist. Baptism, the scriptures do insist on. But it's a wonderful opportunity. Uh, and the last time we had the bishop here was about three years ago, and we had one four or five years ago, and we had a great gathering of people, some new Christians, some old Christians, some people who had got engaged or married who came and renewed their commitment to Jesus together. Uh, It's a fantastic occasion, Uh, and if you are interested in exploring that, have a word with me. We'll have a couple of meetings in February just to explain what's going on. But it is a wonderful thing, just as Jesus submits... To baptism though he didn't need to and he experiences the blessing of the father I've seen so many people uh, submit humbly to being part of this church family in that way and found God re really blessed and filled with spirit he does that in lots of other ways too it's not the only way but it is an important way and I want to invite you to do that uh, if you would like to uh, I've lost my place in my notes as I got on that one. There we go. Uh, that's about all I want to say. So what we're going to do, I'm going to recap that, and then we're going to have a time of prayer. Just we've got time this morning, which is wonderful, before the children need to be collected. And we'll have a time deliberately of inviting God to minister to us. Uh, I will invite people to come to the front who would like to be prayed for. We've often, we sometimes do this. Sometimes uh, We always do it after the service for prayer. Uh, but it may be, there may be all sorts of reasons. It may be that you're feeling dry, like that crusty old sponge I baptised, and you just want to pray for a fresh touch of the Lord. And there's something about coming forward and just allowing someone to lay a hand on your shoulder and pray for you to be filled afresh that is really helpful. It can happen where you're sitting or standing, as the case may be, Uh, but I found going forward and inviting people to pray for me is often really helpful. Uh, It may be that this bit about Jesus baptising with the Holy Spirit and fire, you know that you're wrestling with various issues of purity or holiness. You want to pray for God to come and burn away what's wrong, to wash it clean and to fill you afresh. It may be that right at the start of the sermon when I said do you feel God is distant or God is disappointed in you do you think yeah that's me we'd love to pray for you for you to know that the father delights in you that is the truth so you start to live your life out of the cycle of grace not the cycle of grief trying to earn it we don't earn his favor we receive it and we enter into it more and more it may be that you want to come forward and receive prayer for courage following Jesus is not easy we read that John the Baptist was imprisoned and indeed lost his life it led Jesus to the cross living for Jesus is never easy it's wonderful but it's not easy and we want to pray for courage there's a whole load of reasons at the start of a new year why you might want to receive prayer and uh, we've got time for that so would you stand and if the band would come back and just for any who are new among us I'll explain, I'm going to lead in a prayer, I'll ask God to come and minister to us by his Holy Spirit, and we'll then just be still for a bit. Uh, And if you'd like someone to pray with you for any reason, just come and gather around the front, front left, front right, and the prayer team will come and lay a hand on your shoulder and just pray for God to fill you with his Spirit, very simply. Lord Jesus, we bow in your presence. You are the King of kings and Lord of lords. We praise you that you left the glory of heaven and were born as a baby incarnate among us. We praise you that more than that, at your baptism, you came and identified with sinful humanity. Praise you that when you died on the cross, you took our sin fully on yourself and paid for it all. Praise you that you are risen, that sins can now be forgiven, washed clean. And we pray, send your spirit down on us now, on each one of us and on us together as a church family. And do your work. Purify us from what is wrong. Burn away the dross. Purify the gold. Fill us afresh. So I prayed earlier, may your spring rains, as it were, come down spiritually and refresh us. For those who are feeling dry and crusty, bring refreshment. For those for whom it's time to be baptised or to reaffirm their faith, to make that public declaration, help them know and give them courage. For all of us, equip us to live for you as you're leading. So come, Holy Spirit, we pray. Let's just be still together. So we were praying before the service and the prayer team had a, the line of that song, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, and a picture of a candle being lit and lighting another candle. And it may be that you want to say to the Lord, I'm going to let my light shine. Fill me, give me courage that others, that I may light others as well. a moment we'll sing together but perhaps the band just start to play gently and if you'd like someone to pray with you uh, do come forward we've got time you don't need to collect the children for at least another 10 minutes or so Uh, it's a chance if you for any reason at all if you'd like someone to pray just come forward we'll give a minute or so for that to happen and then we'll sing together